Hey everybody, just super quick note before we start the show here. James and I recently left the comfort of our Seattle home studio, and we are now on different sides of the country attempting to record this podcast using Skype and a variety of weird tools that have not been working out super well for us. Fortunately, this is a temporary situation, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. So we do apologize for a couple of technical things. You may miss a few words in James's track throughout this episode. It should only happen a couple of times and uh, hopefully won't really affect the content of the show. Just wanted to give that heads up so we don't get a bunch of angry pitchfork-wielding emails like we did last week about our bad sound quality. With that in mind, if anybody has any sort of suggestions on how to best record remotely, I know there's a bunch of you out there who are audio wizards and could definitely offer us some advice. So we are coming to you hat in hand asking for some advice. So please reach out to us on our Twitter, Instagram, or our email, which you can find on our website, paperboyspodcast.com. All right, enjoy the show. Thanks for bearing with us. Welcome to Paperboys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the in science. I'm James. And I'm Charlie. Do you ever hear about science in the news and wonder, there's got to be more to this story? Well, every Thursday, James and I go to the actual research papers behind these stories, and we open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. Today's episode I'm excited about. It's about astronauts and the difference between male and female physiology in space and the effects of microgravity on people's bodies. Recent news headlines have been talking about astronauts and some of the effects that might happen both on orbit flights as well as long duration space flights to Mars. I had a chance to read actually a few papers about this and I'm excited to tell you about behind these headlines. This sounds really cool and really applicable to a lot of things today. So I'm pretty pumped to learn about this, especially since I haven't actually read the paper. So get ready for a barrage of questions, James. Sounds good. Charlie and I are both PhD students who read lots of papers for our own research. So this podcast is our way of sharing our love for science and our knack for papers with anyone who wants to learn about the discoveries that affect us all. We are the paper boys. All right, we have to address the elephant in the room, or I should say last week's elephant in the room, which was the mediocre sound quality and some weird some weird issues. You know, we got a couple of comments from listeners saying that it was there was just a couple inconsistencies. Well, I have to admit James and I are actually on different sides of the country right now, and we are attempting to record this as though we're in the same room. If you've uh, if you follow our Twitter at @paperboyspod you probably caught a couple pictures of our remote setups and what strange lengths we're going to to try and get good sound quality out of a hotel room. It's harder to synchronize two clocks across a country than you would think. That's right. You'd think that GPS would have given us some of these advances, but thanks a lot, Reagan. If you're looking for a research idea, just throwing out ideas. Yeah. Uh, if you are listening to this, though, and you're bearing well recording, uh, please hit us up on Twitter or Instagram like Charlie mentioned, at Paper Voice Pod. We'd love to hear where you're listening at, what you think of the episodes, and also if you have any paper recommendations. If you're enjoying the podcast too, if you're enjoying the podcast too, we'd love it if you tell a friend. Yeah, we, we're hoping this will go viral. Apparently we've got a nice little viral following in the Toronto coffee shop scene these days. So, <laughs> And in Austria somehow. And in Austria. Right. So we really appreciate uh, all of you out there who've been sharing it with friends. It really means a lot to us. So, James, you said this study is all about sex and gender differences 
between astronauts in space. I mean, this sounds like kind of a crazy undertaking to even study. How did you come across this? So, yeah, recently there have been a lot of news articles that have talked about physiology in space and certain differences that have been arising between female and male astronauts. Actually, even just today, a friend texted me telling me that NASA had to cancel the first all-female spacewalk that was planned due to some complications with the spacesuit sizing. Originally, they'd planned to use two different spacesuits, and the spacesuit didn't fit anymore. Yeah, I saw that. What was the story there? So there were supposed to be two female astronauts on the spacewalk. I would have thought that they would have suits custom-made, but what happened? So as I understood it, and I'm not a... But they had planned for certain spacesuits uh, to be made available for them based on what was available on the space station. There aren't just like tons of spacesuits lying around. They have a very limited supply of these like super expensive suits. Okay. But so one of the astronauts did a spacewalk last week and found that actually a different size was more convenient for her to wear during the activity, the EVA. Because of that size switch though, it meant they didn't have two of the same spacesuits for the women. And you know, my friend's like, what's the deal with this? Like, why is NASA canceling this momentous event? And it's like, there were physiological changes that happened. Like, you don't have gravity pulling down these fluids. So, like, your body just changes. Like, and it's hard to simulate on Earth. There's, like, no way to actually realistically do it. Wow. So, this was actually the result of an astronaut's body physically changing. And they couldn't fit in the suit anymore. That's my best guess. I think um, from what she was saying, it sounded like the different size just felt better and, you know... You see these videos of the spacewalks and stuff, but from what I've read and heard from people, it's like, it's really hard work doing these spacewalks. You're in a pressurized suit, so just closing your hand, like if you just want to move your fingers, it's like squeezing a tennis ball. It's a lot of work, so. Yeah, like using one of those, you know, iron grippers to strengthen your forearm or something. Yeah, just to like hold onto a bolt or like a screwdriver, you know. Yeah, and they can last for like eight hours, can't they? Those are super long activities. Yeah, and like... It just, I mean, it psychologically fits that. So you can imagine if you're struggling against a spacesuit size, that's not correct. Uh, that wouldn't be fun. Yeah. And the way you're describing these spacewalks sounds like physiological and psychological aspects of astronauts are mission critical. Like this is not just some passing interest. So I can, I can start to get an idea of why these types of really advanced biological studies are being conducted. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the big areas of research in physiology, for example, is what is the effect of microgravity on the musculoskeletal system it's in and the muscles in your body? Because these actually degrade a lot. And so, you know, for a couple of weeks, six months, like the normal flight duration right now on the International Space Station, it's manageable. But as we start looking towards longer term goals of going to Mars, which would be a three to five year journey in like almost no gravity, these start to become a big concern. Yeah, I mean, I'm imagining with kind of our stated future in space, colonizing the moon or Mars, like these are going to be really important questions. In fact, I feel like I even saw recently that Jim Bridenstine, the director of NASA, was saying something about the first person to step on Mars will be a woman. What, what Was that related to this type of study that you're looking at? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think he said that mostly just based on the fact that NASA is doing a lot to recruit more female astronauts. Um, previously, I think female representation was like maybe 25% of the astronaut corps. But in like 2013, the new astronaut class was 50% women. So there's just a much better demographic representation in the astronaut corps. Oh, wow. Okay. 
And just adding on that, like there've been a couple other news articles too. One that was interesting on CNN was saying how spaceflight is activating herpes in astronauts. What? Yeah. So what they found was the longer astronauts spend in space, the more likely they are to have viruses like herpes, chickenpox, or shingles reactivate. Wait, so this is in people who have already had chickenpox, for example, they go to space and suddenly it breaks out? I don't think it's actually broken out in space, but the stresses of it, herpes actually stays like dormant inside of your body. So something about the physiological stresses of being in space day in and day out make it more prevalent that it could reactivate upon return to Earth. Wow, that's insane. I mean, I always imagine like going to space as actually being really relaxing. Like you just float around and no stress on your body at all. But it actually sounds like it's horrible. Like it's doing uh, a real number. It's doing a lot to your body. And we'll get into some of those details uh, just coming up when we dive into the paper. Okay. So what actually is the paper? I mean, obviously this is making headline news lately, but it doesn't sound like it's based on a specific recent study. Yeah. So if you got the gist from the news articles I was bringing up, There's really a diverse set of studies that are going on studying the physiology. And if you can glean anything from what we were talking about, there's so much that's just... And so the paper that I ended up going to was actually a series of papers in (laughs) the Journal of Women's Health from 2014. And the title of these were The Impact of Sex and Gender on Adaptation to Space. And it's really like a series of almost 10 different papers that covered different aspects of health in space. This includes behavioral health, neurosensory systems, musculoskeletal, immune, and cardiovascular health. Okay, who actually wrote these papers? So the papers were authored by a group of individuals from both NASA and academia who came together and met regularly over like a six-month period to look into these. So the, the papers really represent more a literature review of what types of research have been done and they plan recommendations for people who are looking into future research ideas in this. And this is published in Journal of Women's Health, you said. Is the series of papers more focused on the female astronaut side of things then? No, it's really looking at just differences that may arise from gender or sex. And reading them, it's really mostly pointing out, uh, like, but also just a lot of shortcomings in the research. Really? Shortcomings? I would have thought that this would be a field that has been going on for a long time. It's been going on for a long time, but the grown starting in the 90s, where federal agencies began taking more interest in how men and women are similar and different in health. And it took a while, you know, everything takes a while if it's space research. And we haven't really had people living regularly in space since the space station. So, you know, in the late 2000s, we finally had a consistent set of people going up there with physiological measurements. I see. Okay, that makes sense. So what is the actual data set then? If it's only really these recent astronauts that have been living there long term, that can't be that many people, can it? Yeah, it's really not. And so the paper looks actually at research both uh, on animal models, uh, terrestrial human models. So they do like bed rest and then they looked at actual in situ space experiments. And so As of June 2013, the demographics of the international astronaut and cosmonaut population, Russian astronauts, uh, showed about 500 humans had flown in space, of which 477 were men and only 57 women. So that's like just 10%. Oh, wow. Okay. So that is a relatively small data set of female astronauts they're working with. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so of that, a total of 129 NASA astronauts had flown to the International Space Station. So that's 103 men, 26 women. So the percentage is getting better. That's about 20%. There were some really interesting differences just in the demographics of those astronauts. Wait, sorry, just going back a second. When you say there is some of these experiments were not actually in space, there are these like bed rest tests. Is this like when you hear those awesome job postings for like, oh, NASA will pay you $50,000 to do nothing but watch TV for three months or something? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, I had no clue that those studies were like super critical to astronaut health. I guess I never really thought too hard about it, but I guess that makes sense. No, absolutely. That's probably why they're paying you so much. Also, it sounds awesome for like a day. And then... <laughs> yeah, you know. the reality of that would be pretty awful. Yeah, but you'd be contributing to great research. So I guess it's a trade-off. So they're comparing these male and female astronauts throughout all these different historical studies. Were there any fundamental differences between the men and the women? Yeah, so at least from the astronauts that came through NASA. So on average, the female astronauts were two years younger than the male astronauts. And there were no real significant differences in like what percentage were married. But uh, almost twice as many of the male astronauts had children versus the female. It's like 67% versus 38%. Huh, really? Actually, that makes me wonder... And maybe you'll get into this later, but I got to imagine pregnancy is a huge question in all these physiological studies. Like what effect would going to space have on pregnancy? Yeah, absolutely. And the reproductive organs for both males and females. So I will definitely touch on that later. They had some interesting findings. Okay, good. Just lastly, from a professional perspective, there were some interesting differences too. A female NASA astronaut was almost twice as likely to have a PhD as the male counterparts. 50% versus 28%. Wow. Well, on the flip side, the male astronauts were more likely to have military and they call it like fast jet piloting experience or something like that. (laughs) Really? That's super interesting because I think it used to be like way back when you had to be a pilot to be an astronaut. Like that was the, that was the sole requirement. I mean, among all the other things that make you be an astronaut, but I think over time they added that you could either be a pilot with, you know, X thousand number of hours or have a PhD with some number of years experience in that field. I wonder if there's a relation between the increase in the number of female astronauts in recent years and the introduction of of things like that, like having PhD be a qualification and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think just also that as a whole, the government and society is going through a bit of a cultural revolution. If you've ever read that book or seen the movie Right Stuff... We talk about like, what is the right stuff to be an astronaut when they were selecting the first crew for Mercury and Gemini? They're all like these like grizzled test pilots from the Navy and Air Force and stuff. But it's like, obviously you learn it in those jobs, but like a lot of PhDs make really hard decisions too. And, you know, the right stuff comes in many different forms and flavors. So, yeah. And like historically, the position of a test pilot in the 60s was one that was really barred for women to enter, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are hurdles like that. So if they have like this kind of relatively small sample of astronauts, are they able to draw pretty significant conclusions from that? That's actually a problem. And that's addressed in a commentary paper that was released in the journal by Sarah Lynn Mark, an MD from NASA. And she mentions that this belief is actually really hindered Reese's physiological differences between different genders and sexes because um, people think 
well, if you can't get a significant sample size, then why even do the research? But NASA actually charged the Institute of Medicine to address these concerns. And essentially what they found is like, even if you're only identifying small differences within individuals, it's still really important because in the extreme environment of space, these small differences can make a huge long-term difference in how the body adapts. And these all translate into critical health decisions that we have to make. So long story short, even though the sample size is small, it's still important for us to study these because it's the only data we have and we have to build off something. Yeah. And it's also like when you're talking about sample sizes, my understanding is usually you're saying we're sampling from a population of the representative class. So if the representative class is people who have been to space, you're sampling 100% of those people. So you're still understanding the full, you're still getting an understanding of the full group that has been to space. I mean, we've read papers on this podcast in psychology journals where they have a sample size of eight or 22 or something like that. And they're drawing conclusions about the way that human beings in general operate. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, still to have on the order of 100 samples is pretty good. And I think it's just important from this paper to, you know, not discourage people from getting into it because they're telling themselves, oh, I'll never get a significant sample size. It's like, yeah, there's still awesome research to be done. So it's worth diving in. I bet most scientists are clamoring to work with astronauts as their study group. Yeah. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to do that? All right. We've been beating around the bush a lot, talking about the fact that there are differences between male and female astronauts. What are the actual physiological differences that they found in these studies? Yeah. So one of the challenges I had in putting together my research for this episode is, you know, there are like six or seven different papers covering different health topics. And they're all really interesting, but I had to boil it down a little bit. So just to give you a little roadmap, I'm going to talk about some of the cardiovascular differences because these are important in some of the actually like the biggest health concern that NASA has for spaceflight at the moment. I'll talk about musculoskeletal differences that have been measured and also pose a big challenge for future long-term space and then cover some of the other interesting findings like reproductive health. Okay. So starting with cardiovascular, you said that this was the most important issue to NASA right now. Why is that? So broadly, cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death in men and women on earth. And there are big differences between how it's presented in men and women. Uh, Women tend to show signs of coronary heart disease about 10 years after men, but they show greater morbidity and mortality. And they're also affected differently by risk factors. So like smoking or diabetes seem to have a greater effect on women. What's the effect of the going to space risk factor? I actually don't think we know that fully, but we're looking into it because like... Really? Things like space radiation is definitely very different from the terrestrial environment that we're used to. So they know that that causes like advanced cardiovascular aging. They're looking into that. And also just like hormonal differences between men and women. There's just a lot of practical unknowns. Like they don't know how oral contraceptives could increase like blood pressure and affect things or hormonal treatments for menopause might affect a woman's physiology in space. One thing we have observed though is that men tend to suffer from decreased eyesight after spaceflight while women don't seem to touch 
and they're just scratching the surface with this. Really? So that's I feel like that's something I've heard about always is the problems with eyesight that these ISS astronauts have. I had no clue that that did not affect the female astronauts. Well, so it it does affect the female astronauts, but it so far affects a lower percentage and the effects aren't quite as bad. So this is called visual impairment intracranial pressure syndrome. Wait, so what is visual impairment intracranial pressure syndrome? What is what does that actually mean? So they first identified this in 2005, that major and sometimes long-term changes were happening to astronauts' ocular structures, so the size and shape of their eyes. So things like what's called optic disc edema, where basically swelling in the eye was measured, and then some changes in visual function. So astronauts were experiencing enlarged blind spots, hyperopic shifts, or farsightedness after spaceflight. And these were lasting for like long durations after spaceflight and not always returning to normal. Huh, that's crazy. And this has to do with the pressure inside your body somehow? Yeah, so sort of like what we were talking about earlier with the space suit sizing problem that they experienced today, there's a shift in the fluids of your body and they believe that this is causing extra pressure in your brain. Normally gravity helps you out by pulling fluids down and then your body pumps them back up and, you know, we're in this happy equilibrium to help us with that you end up top heavy oh they even did a spinal tap of astronauts afterwards and found elevated levels of cerebrospinal fluid pressure which is signaling increased pressure in the skull that's crazy i had no clue that this vision impairment was coming all the way from like your spinal fluid pressure that's so it's crazy how interconnected everything is and it also really begs the question which is where you started this whole topic If you have all these differences in fluid pressure inside your body, you've got to imagine that in your heart and your arteries and all the sort of circulatory system, that could have a huge effect on the cardiovascular disease that you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, and we just don't even know yet. That's wild. Yeah. So you said that this vision thing affects the female astronauts less. What was the actual difference? So out of 41 international space station, eight. 25 underwent specific medical evaluations for this, which included extensive testing and measurements, including MRI of the eyes. And so there were 17 males, eight females. Five of the females manifested evidence of this syndrome compared to 14 of the males. So that's 62% for the females showed evidence of this intracranial pressure syndrome, whereas 82% of the males did. Now, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that that is not many people, and statistically, these results are not significant. However, what was also an interesting observation was that the female crew members presented with milder symptoms and signs compared with the male crew members. Huh, that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, that is a small sample size for that particular study, but you've got to imagine that each time they send back a crew from the ISS, they're expanding that data set, I would hope at least. Yeah, and this is 2013, so you you know we send up three new crew members every six months, and the data set's only expanding. So okay, I'm sorry to be reporting old data, but still an interesting mark. <laughs> Thanks a lot, James. I know. No, I mean this sounds like a very slow moving field by by nature. So so I'm curious what like factors could actually lead to that observed difference in the vision problems. Yeah, so they're not totally sure. That's why they're still looking into this actively, but. One potential factor is that the female crew members have what they call higher vascular compliance, which is to say that essentially the female crew members, since they're on average two years younger, may just have a more active vascular system. That's one potential factor. Additionally, 
the men tended to go, undergo high acceleration jet pilot training at a higher rate than the females. So 65% of the men versus 25% of the women, which could be tied you know, to that higher rate of military training and who knows what effects that had on the men. I see. So there may actually be like a, a biological bias in the two data sets of men and women here. Yep. Just as a result of the NASA astronaut selection process. We, we PhDs sitting at our desks most of the day don't have quite the strains on our bodies that the fighter pilots do. I think the only way to really test this, you know, is get PhD students, accelerate them at high jet speeds and have them do their research. Yeah. Let me write my dissertation from the co-pilot seat of an F-22. You have to think it'd be much more exciting to write your dissertation at 30,000 feet going you know, Mach 1.5. I think you'd be motivated to write it a lot faster <laughs> if that were the case. You must finish. Get me out of this thing. Before you run out of fuel. Yeah. So on that note of the strains on our bodies, you mentioned the second kind of major difference they observed was musculoskeletal. What was the story there? So this is actually really interesting. They've noticed this in astronauts for a long time, but being in space and in this microgravity environment causes you to lose muscle in a range of like 2.5% to nearly 20% over a six-month period. 20% of your muscles in six months? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And uh, similarly for bone density, um, they looked at bone density of your tibia and it was a similar 2 to 24% loss over a six-month period. 24% bone density. Oh, yeah. It's like you come back and you could just stumble and break your leg or something. No, it's, I mean, it's a huge problem. Astronauts come back really weak and tighter uh, changes, like standing up, people just faint sometimes. So that's why, like, if you watch these crew recovery videos when the astronauts land on Earth, they have these like big, burly guys just like pick them up so the astronauts don't walk and they put them in like beach chairs and cover them in blankets. Yeah, those yeah. lawn chairs. It's a, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love seeing those yeah, pictures. It's worth watching if you've never seen it. But yeah, it's a huge problem. The other thing I think of when you talk about this is, you know, in Wally, when the computer says like, over the last five years, your body, you may have suffered some bone loss, and it shows like the diagram of like the people just getting way fatter, <laughs> like like they're trying to play it off like they they had bone density loss, but they actually all just got really fat. Dude, the movie's hilarious. We're all headed to Wally. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> no. But yeah, one of the big questions with this is whether this rate of loss is linear. Like they've only measured it really over six months or a year in the case of the astronauts who did that year-long experiment. But they're not really sure how this would continue for three to five years for an astronaut headed to Mars. So uh, it's, you know, it's really interesting. It'd suck to get to Mars and not even be able to walk. Yeah, that would be horrible. So what was the difference between men and women in terms of losing muscle mass? So from what I understood, they haven't been able to notice a specific difference between men and women. It's more this individual variance just between astronauts. So they're still not sure what the difference is. Huh. Okay. So I imagine that'll remain a pretty active area of research then. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the reasons that the astronauts currently have to do almost two hours of physical activity a day, and NASA's investing a lot of money into different workout equipment onto the space station. Currently, they have these really bulky and weird-looking like squat machines and treadmills and stuff. But the- yeah, like the treadmills where you've got those elastic straps that like hold you down onto it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's problematic because those things are huge, and so you think about a mission to Mars, like you're trying to save weight. So I think like. 
they're looking at this versatile erg like rowing machine kind of thing that they could use but nice row your way to mars that sounds fun yeah you probably you know like you rode this you know like one inch towards like (laughs) yeah however far yeah count up all the meters so the last thing you mentioned was kind of a major point of study was the difference in reproductive organs i'm really curious to hear about this aspect yeah so you know in space you're exposed to a lot of radiation and in general we found that high levels of radiation exposure leads to temporary or permanent infertility because the reproductive organs are highly sensitive to these infertility wow i didn't realize it was that extreme yeah so we haven't noticed this in astronauts fortunately okay so wait have there been astronauts who had kids after going to space yeah so actually 13 female astronauts as of 2014 have given birth to 18 children following spaceflight and from what the paper said you know this is based on unpublished data but did not have any increased pregnancy complications which is actually pretty interesting i thought yeah i mean that's a really good sign especially for colonization purposes yeah if you actually think about like human potential to populate another planet the real question that i know is not answered is what would happen if someone was pregnant in space could you give birth in space that that's something that I feel like we won't know the answer to for a long time, but it like has got to have everyone really curious. So they have done animal tests on that. It's interesting that you bring it up. Really? A- okay. What what animals? So they did reptiles. I'm not sure. It may have been snakes, and they were able. The reptiles were able to successfully fertilize eggs. They've only done one mating experiment with mice, and that actually resulted in no viable offspring. So really, it'd be interesting to see if they continue that. Huh. That does not sound promising. <laughs> Yeah, so who knows? So I can imagine with female astronauts who get pregnant after coming back, I mean, there seem like some pretty obvious implications of the effect of radiation on the the womb itself. I'm curious, did they study any male astronauts who had children after coming back from space? Like, is there any sort of more, like a more subtle effect there? Um, So unfortunately, they don't have any data for that. On a high level, there are male astronauts who have returned from space and had children, but uh, there's no real data to look at and follow up with. So I think what it really does is just underscore the lack of the amount of research that's missing on this subject. So there's a lot more to do. You know, ethically, I actually, I don't know what there is involved with like looking at the children of astronauts, spaceflight and stuff. You know, that brings up a lot of human ethical considerations, but even just animal studies, it'll be really interesting to see what comes up because it's an important question. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a whole complicated landscape of where you even begin to study that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Man, this is all kind of like discouraging me a little bit. Like, I feel like we're not, like, I feel like NASA's not going to send people to Mars until they've answered these questions. And I feel like they're never going to answer these questions. It's just too much to study. I mean, it's fascinating. It's there, you know, every one of these things opens another rabbit hole, like, I was just watching a video about sort of the mitigation strategies if there is a problem in space and like the diapers you have to wear. So this is kind of gross, but urine in a diaper eventually turns into ammonia in a couple days, which is toxic. But like, what if you have a week long problem? Like, what do you do to get rid of that ammonia? Oh my gosh. These are things that I would never even imagine, but these are like real problems that they have to solve. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's not furly, like... These are important questions to ask, like for disaster scenarios or things that come up in the future. I think it's still valuable research, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. I mean, you could substitute astronaut for kind of any surrogate of having to live in an extreme environment, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
So I'm sure that there are a ton more prongs of this kind of research. Like you could probably go down, like you said, every different rabbit hole. But I guess in the interest of time, I'm glad we got to cover three of them, three, at least three kind of major physiological areas here. Having read these six different papers, what do you kind of take away on the whole about all of this? You know, really on a whole, I would just say that there's a lot more research to be done. So I'm excited that we're still sending a lot of people up to space. You know, in each of these papers, they looked at these individual areas like cardiovascular health, reproductive health, musculoskeletal health. But there are also interdependencies between these physiological areas. The human body is such a complex system. And so they didn't even address that in the survey. So really, I think the big takeaway is let's collect more research and keep sending people to space to learn about it because it's it's fascinating and it advances our own human body and human life. Well, if they're looking for another test subject, I will gladly volunteer to go to the ISS, live there for a couple months. The other thing I'm kind of taking away from just what you've told me today, at least, is that a lot of these studies are showing that there are differences between the effect of space on male and female astronauts. But none of them really seem to suggest that space is more detrimental for males or for females in space. It just kind of seems like, you know, while the detriment affects men and women in different ways, it seems like the overall takeaway is space is a really freaking hard place to live and it's going to suck for everybody, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I guess in other words, it's like, you know, we're really looking at like splitting hairs of the differences between men and women, but it's like at the end of the day, we're both humans and we're both terrestrial creatures that are evolved over millions of years in a high gravity environment. So sending us to space is like just total game changer. It's very unnatural is what you're saying. Yes. Yep. Okay. Well, maybe uh, I'll scrap my plans to retire on Mars like I always thought I would. That beachfront property, man, with all that water. That's true. No, we've established all of it is beachfront property. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> just wait 10,000 years, man, and all those little creatures that oh that carl sagan <laughs> was talking about all the little creatures yeah. that carl sagan was talking about we're gonna crawl out yeah so i mean there this episode's a little different there's not like any particular news story to come back to here but do you think that this type of research gets a fair shakedown in the media because i mean obviously there are times when sex and gender differences between astronauts comes up yeah i mean i guess it comes back to the, your last comment of like does he get a fair shake in the media i think there's research that shows that there are slight differences. All these differences are interesting, but they don't necessarily represent like a big deciding factor of men and women going to space, which often seems like is the underlying premise of these news articles. Like they're sort of bringing up the headline of, in a way to convince people like men are better for space or women are better for space. But it's like space is hard for men and women and it manifests in slightly different ways. Yeah. Which is fascinating to look at. But like really like these headlines should be like space is hard. Here's one interesting facet that's different between men and women in space. Yeah. Like whether you're a man or a woman, it's not going to be fun. You're right. Like I I feel like I have seen these headlines once in a while that you're like eh, that kind of sounds like you've got a little bit of an agenda there. Which, which we see in every episode that we do on this podcast, it seems. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, it's a hard task of coming up with a headline that's fully representative because you're boiling down thousands of words and thoughts into a sentence. So it's always going to be misinterpreted. Well, thank you for bringing that in, James. I am very impressed that you read six papers for this podcast episode. You went way above and beyond. I think you did a good job distilling all of that down into a couple important points. 
if people are interested in diving a little deeper themselves and kind of hearing about some of these other differences that are in the literature, we will be posting these papers on our website, paperboyspodcast.com. You can also find news articles there, some good videos, and most importantly, merchandise. We have some sweet Paperboys t-shirts on uh, on tpublic.com. The link is on our website and they look really sweet. So I highly encourage everyone to pick one up. It helps support the show too. So we'd, we'd really appreciate that. If you enjoyed this episode, also, please don't forget to share it on social media or reach out to us. We're on Twitter and Instagram at paperboyspod. Join us next week for another exciting edition of Paperboys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>